by 78 bricks, we're up to $80,783. Our goal has been exceeded. We are abundantly above that. I mean, we didn't go a little bit over. We went way over. And uh, I've been asked several times, can we keep on giving to the building fund? The answer is absolutely not. Just to get your attention. No, of course you can keep giving to the building fund. As you know, we, what we need is 400000 but we have managed to raise 80000 abundantly above uh, what I anticipated we'd be able to do. I am touched and blessed by that, and I'll give you a full report here in the near future of where we stand with that. Will you stand with me as we read Revelation chapter 4, the entire chapter, just 11 verses out of the message translation, and talk about a door into heaven, a door into heaven. Revelation 4, then I looked, and oh, a door opened into heaven. The trumpet voice, the first voice in my vision called out, ascend and enter. I'll show you what happens next. I was caught up at once in deep worship, and oh, a throne set in heaven, with one seated on the throne, suffused in gem hues of amber and flame with a nimbus of emerald. Twenty-four thrones circled the throne, with twenty-four elders seated, white robed, gold crowned. Lightning flash and thunder crash pulsed from the throne. Seven fire-blazing torches fronted the throne. These are the sevenfold Spirit of God. Before the throne, it was like a clear crystal sea. Prowling around the throne were four animals, all eyes, eyes to look ahead, eyes to look behind, the first animal like a lion, the second like an ox, the third with a human face, and the fourth like an eagle in flight. The four animals were winged, each with six wings. They were all eyes, seen around and within, and they chanted night and day, never taking a break. Holy, holy, holy is God our master, sovereign strong, the was, the is, the coming. Lord Jesus, we bless your word. We thank you for it. You've not left us in the dark or even with a doubt. You are King of kings and Lord of lords, and you're coming soon. All the trouble and chaos in the world is just the beginning of the tribulation period that you're going to take us out of, Lord Jesus. We look forward to that day that we say, bring it on. Uh, we pray that you will help us to prepare others to be ready for your soon return. Bless your word as we study it this morning, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, if you've been here, you know that we have uh, been on what has become a rather lengthy journey as we have been discovering the connection between Abraham and Armageddon. We've covered a lot of territory there and learning about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and uh, then we continue in feud that is still going on this day after 3,800, almost 4,000 years, the continuing feud concerning uh, Isaac and Ishmael, the Jews and the Arabs, as you know, are still at it today in this world. And we also spent some time studying Ezekiel chapter 37, that story of the Valley of the Dry Bones. Uh, with the miraculous resurrection of the nation of Israel, the picture that was given there, and the actual fulfillment of that. 
as Israel became a nation once again in 1948. So uh, we've done a lot of study in, in that area and in that uh, subject matter. We also looked into the Great War. Uh, that's described in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 uh, when the enemies of Israel take up their battle positions on the hills around the nation of Israel. And uh, the scripture describes that it is the nations of Syria, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Ethiopia, Libya, Turkey, and others that joined the ranks along with Russia to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. This has been tried before. As you know, the Holocaust that took place uh, during World War II focused on annihilating the Jews from the face of the earth. Uh, was a German... Uh, Ezekiel was a prophet. Yes, he was. Uh, and his prophecies are still being fulfilled today. As we're, we're watching for these things to take place. In chapter 38 and 39, a prime example that, that he's prophesied a war is coming. And we're seeing these things happen uh, you know, I, I, I took time the last time I was here to say that there's current news that Russia is taking a more active interest in the Israeli problem, as is China, and these nations that have, in times past, seems like they would have no reason to be involved in Israel. And all of a sudden, now they are involved, and they're saying, if you touch Iran, you're going to be touching Russia. If the United States uh, messes in Syria... Russia is saying, don't, don't be messing around in Syria. We have an interest there, and you'll be messing with us if you mess around in Syria. So uh, current events are, well, exciting in the sense that we don't know what's going to happen next, but uh, something needs to be done, and uh, who will fire the first shot or what will trigger or cause this war to break out, we don't know. But Ezekiel has prophesied that a war will break out, and it will involve all of these current nations coming against one nation, Israel. But it also describes for us the supernatural intervention of God as he destroys those armies that come against Israel in such a fashion. So uh, I just imagine that if those nations would listen, read the 37th chapter of Ezekiel and understand its meaning, maybe they need to subscribe to my podcast on, listen to my message on Ezekiel 37, then those nations would say, hey, we better... It was a supernatural God that raised Israel up. Israel didn't become a nation again simply because a couple of Jewish people got together and said, wouldn't it be nice if we had our own homeland? That had been their cry for 2,000 years. God supernaturally brought them back to the land. It was miraculous the way God brought that back and restored it. And not only that, Ezekiel the prophet had described just such a res restoration of Israel, you know, almost 3,000 years before it happened. And so uh, when it happens, you look at that and say, that has to be God. He said he was going to do it, uh, as we've talked many times, for 2,000 years in the uh, church age. Uh, scholars have looked at that and said it's impossible. Israel has been so totally destroyed it could never come back. Israel has been so scattered to the ends of the earth that there is no nation of Israel any longer, and yet, Today, we live in a world that has a nation of Israel that is one of the strongest military powers on earth and certainly is the central focus of world politics today. So uh, there's fulfillment of scripture uh, that you, 
you can't turn your back on. You can't say it didn't happen. It's right there in front of your face, and it's current. It's happening today. So if we can trust Ezekiel to talk about chapter 37 and the restoration of Israel, then I believe we'll be able to trust Ezekiel when he talks about the war uh, of these nations coming against the nation of Israel in the last days. And we see that happening daily, if you're paying attention, uh, daily on our television sets. So uh, as we move into this book of Revelation, I want you to see that the events of Revelation are a promise and they are not uh, a threat to us. The book of Revelation is a book of promise. It's a book of God's blessing. It's a book of God's assurance to his church that he has all things under control. None of this is a surprise to God. You and I may be surprised how war breaks out. We may be surprised at who the players are and why it's happening and the extent of it and so forth, but God is not surprised by any of it. The book of Revelation was given to the Apostle John to share with the church so that we would know that when these things are happening, it's just fulfillment of what God said must necessarily come to pass. Uh, it's not God's design or purpose to put his children through the great tribulation uh, in order to prove their love for him. You know, sometimes we get the idea that uh, we need to be one of the players in the, the uh, story or the movie of the Left Behind series, you know, that we're running from somebody shooting with machine guns and we're diving for cover and hiding in uh, underground bunkers and, and doing all of those things in order to somehow prove that we are the faithful children of God. If that were true, you would be earning your salvation, would you not? You, you would be having to do something to prove that you were worthy of God's love. Now, that's absolutely contrary to what the Scripture teaches. So, no, uh, God's children don't run and hide and run through all these horrible things uh, in order to earn their salvation. In the near future, I hope to... Uh, go over many of the scriptures in the Bible that talk and point to a pre-tribulation rapture. Somebody asked me, he said, you never say clearly what you believe. Do you believe in the pre-tribulation rapture? Yes, I absolutely do. Uh, if I happen to be wrong on that, I'm happy to know that there's an alternative with a mid-tribulation rapture. And if I'm wrong about that, then I'll take post-tribulation rapture if that's the way it works out. I, I want to go up in the rapture whenever it happens, but I truly believe that the Bible in every way teaches clearly that uh, the church will be taken before the great time of tribulation comes to pass. But we're already in times of tribulation in this world right now. We're already seeing things happen in our lifetime that we never imagined people would have to go through. And we're seeing those things come to pass. As we began our journey in the book of Revelation a couple of weeks ago, I want to back up and revisit some of those statements. Uh, Revelation 1-7, this is New King James. Behold, he's coming with clouds. Every eye will see him. This is talking about Jesus Christ. This is the second coming of Christ when he actually puts his feet on planet Earth. We understand from this scripture and others that Jesus will come back. His feet will touch the Mount of Olives just uh, east of Jerusalem. And uh, every eye will see him. 
You say, every eye will see him. You know, 100 years ago, every eye, it wouldn't be possible for every eye to see Jesus Christ return to earth. But you and I hear that statement today and go, well, sure, that's possible. You know, when Neil Armstrong stepped out on the moon for the first time, anybody that wanted to look could see. Anybody that was willing to turn on the television set could see Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. And so when Jesus Christ returns to earth, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, referring to the Jewish people themselves, those that uh, crucified him, they will see him. All the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him so that in every nation around the world, they will have television coverage, knowledge, pictures, uh, proof that Jesus Christ has returned to earth and they will mourn because of that. And he says, even so, amen. Skipping on down to the 17th verse of chapter 1, John says he got a glimpse of Jesus and he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. Listen, this is the message of the book of Revelation. Don't be afraid. The book of Revelation isn't intended to scare you to death or, or cause you to run in fear or cringe and cower in a corner somewhere. The message is don't be afraid. Jesus says, I'm the first and the last. I was here when it started, and I'll be here when it's all over. You know, I'm going to be right here through it all. Uh, I am the first and the last. I'm he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. So Jesus says, I've already been through death. I'm not even, that doesn't, I've been there. It doesn't worry me, doesn't bother me. I was thinking to my dad, you know, the year before he died, he had that uh, slowdown of his heart and, and uh, had to have a pacemaker put in. And they said during that one Sunday afternoon, he stopped breathing, he stopped, his heart stopped beating, what, five, seven or eight times, I think it was. Uh, and they had to come in with the paddles and zap him and get him going again. And uh, he said after that was over, he said, you know, they said I died seven times. He said, well, if that's dying, there's nothing to it. That's a piece of cake. He said, there's nothing hard about dying if I died seven times. He said, that wasn't hard. That was easy. Uh, Jesus is here to say, listen, I was dead, but I'm alive again. I, I, I'm a conqueror over death. Behold, I'm alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. So the enemy has nothing over Jesus Christ, and he has nothing over you or I, nor does death. So the book of Revelation is a book of confidence and peace. He goes on in the 19th verse to write to John, to tell John to write the things that you've seen, and the things that are, and the things which will take place after this. So this is what the book of Revelation is. John, write about what you've seen as John is given a glimpse and a picture of heaven itself. He said, write down, write those things down, and then write what I tell you is going to happen after that. And that's where we have the book of Revelation. That's why he wrote it. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. You know, you get an image of Jesus with stars in his hand and seven lampstands. You go, oh, my goodness, what is that? Wow. Ooh, mystery, mystery, ooh, weird, how, how strange is that? Jesus said, no, it's not weird at all. He said the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands that you saw, those are the seven churches. You know, churches are a light in a dark world. I hope the grapevine is a bright light in a dark, dark city, right? That's our goal, that's our aim and purpose, is to be right here in the middle of a dark area and hold forth the light of Jesus Christ on a continuous, ongoing basis. And so 
the lampstand of the seven churches and the angels of the seven churches. And uh, he goes on, chapters 2 and 3, take up the letters to the seven churches. Uh, these were seven real churches that were really in existence at the time John wrote these letters. They were, they're all named there in those two chapters. Uh, the letters to the churches give a commendation to each church saying, this is what you're doing right. Here's what one of some of your problems are. And here's what God wants to do for you. And so it gave commendations to their strengths. It gave warnings about their weaknesses. And it gave promises as to their future. Those were real churches, real time at the time John was writing. But those statements are also prophetic to the church at large, to this church today. Not just one of those letters, but all seven of those letters. If we're weak in any of the areas that those letters talk about, it's a warning to the church. Stay strong in this area. And a commendation on those areas where we are doing well. It's God keeping his house in order, keeping those things. We're not going to take time to go through those seven letters. We might come back and do that at a little later time. But those statements apply to all churches of all church ages, although they were exactly specific to those churches on those days. But think about it. Those weren't the only churches on earth at that time. That's just seven of the churches. So the message goes out and it says, hear the message to the churches, plural. So it wasn't just one church to hear one message. It was all churches to hear all the messages. And uh, we may take time for that at some later date, but not right now. Just enough to say that the letters are given to help the church stay on track throughout the church age. So then we move into chapter 4 of the book of Revelations, which is what we read this morning, as John is given a glimpse into the door of heaven. Have you ever been around some uh, big deal meeting, you know, that was going on in the other room or, or nearby, you know, something that was happening that was really exciting, the kind of the focus of attention and so forth. Uh, just some special meeting, a gathering of a special group of people that had some authority or, or whatever. I don't know. You, you just want to stick your nose in and hear what they're doing. You know, we hear these meetings of the Bilderbergers and the, and the uh, trilateralists and uh, maybe the International Monetary Fund. You know, you'd like to sit in and, and hear what it is they're whispering about and and what their plans are for the future. Certainly, we would like to be able to sit in on the uh, White House Situation Room on occasion, right? And, and know what, what they were thinking and what they were doing back in that room at that time and, and who said what to whom. And, and I guess that's what Congress is going about these days, uh, trying to figure out all that kind of stuff. But there are times when you would just like to peek in and you'd like to know what's going on on the inside. You'd like to know that uh, you're, you feel like you're on the outside and you'd like to know what's going on on the inside. Well, here's a chance that John had to peek into the throne room of heaven. I don't think it gets any better than this, you know, that, that John would walk by and here's an open door. Uh, we seem to be crazy about celebrities these days, you know, and that uh, if there's a movie star or two in a room, why, we've got to know everything that happened and everything that everybody said to anybody and, and make a big deal out of it as though that were important. And uh, here's an opportunity for John to peek into the throne room of heaven. And so he says, after this I looked, 
and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And can you imagine you're just walking through heaven, and here's the big throne room of heaven, and the door's open, and there's nobody to prevent you from sticking your head in and looking around and see what's going on. And so here's the door open, and the first voice that I heard in the beginning, I heard addressing me, calling like a war trumpet, said, come on up, and I'll show you what must take place in the future. So not only is the door open, but now John's being invited in, saying, come on, I'll show you what we're up to. At once, I came under the Holy Spirit's power. Listen, you don't want to go into the presence of God in your own power in your own weakness, in your own foolishness, in your own presumption. You want to come before the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. You want to come, you know, surrendered totally to the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, I'm yours. I, I want to do your will, your bidding. Uh, and so John came in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's power. And behold, a, stone, a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne. So John got a glimpse of the throne itself. He who sat there appeared like the crystalline brightness of jasper and the fiery sardis, and encircling the throne there was a halo that looked like a rainbow of emerald. You know, John is just struggling here with words, trying to figure out something that could describe what he saw with his eyes. And so he begins to use jewels and the brightness of jewelry, the, the glitter, I guess, the bling, if you want to call it that, of certain stones and jewelry to say this picture that I saw in heaven of that throne room was just glittering. Uh, I was confused there when we read the message translation. Uh, I, the message translation said it had the nimbus of emerald. I had to go to the dictionary for that one. I didn't know what a nimbus is. Anybody know what a nimbus is? It's a halo. Yeah, that's right. It was uh, It was the... Uh, the halo that looked like the rainbow of an emerald. I didn't, I didn't know that's what a nimbus was. But uh, John is just trying to describe, just trying to use language to put into words what he saw through his eyes. He saw 24 other thrones that surrounded the throne. And seated on these thrones were 24 elders. They're the members of the heavenly Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin was the Supreme Court of Israel. So apparently there is a Supreme Court of Heaven. So that if there is any discussion on rules and regulations, it doesn't have to go to God Himself. God's will is already known, and the heavenly court can set things in order without having to go clear to the throne of God Himself. A, a heavenly Sanhedrin is described as. And they were arrayed in white clothing with crowns of gold upon their heads. Can you put yourself in John's shoes a minute? Can you just kind of close your eyes and imagine that you, you have wandered into this throne room and you're being ushered into this amazing, spectacular uh, scene with the throne of God and with 24 other thrones surrounding those thrones? He goes on, from out of those thrones came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven blazing torches burned, which are seven spirits of God, the sevenfold Holy Spirit. John's still struggling for words to describe, you know, just, I don't know, there, there was like thunder, there was peals, there was lightning flashes, there was just the glory of God it was powerful, it was moving, it was alive. 
and in front of that were these torches that burned, the seven spirits of God. There's only one Holy Spirit of God, you know. But he has seven manifestations or seven appearances or, or has multiplied duties and is seen quite often, spoken of as a sevenfold Holy Spirit. So it, these are the seven spirits of God. The sevenfold Holy Spirit were before that throne. And in front of the throne, there was what looked like a transparent glassy sea. Maybe you think of an ice skating pond or something under perfect conditions that uh, would be clear and crystal, uh, or maybe a glass floor, you know, that is see-through, whatever you would imagine in your mind. John is just trying to put this, this into word, transparent, glassy sea, as if of crystal. And around the throne, in the center, at each side of the throne, were four living creatures or beings. Uh, Message Bible used the word animals. I didn't like that translation so well there. Uh, animals, well, I think uh, beings or creatures, just somebody that doesn't look like we're used to seeing. Uh, and they were full of eyes in front and behind with intelligence as to what is before and what is at the rear of them. So they had eyes in front and the back, and they could see in every direction. And they could understand all the things that were going on around about them. The first living creature or being was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Uh, the book of uh, Ezekiel has some of those uh, characteristics listed out for us in one of the prophecies there. But uh, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is also the great burden bearer, which is the symbol of the ox. Jesus is our burden bearer. The third had the face of a man. Jesus is the son of man. And the fourth was the eagle, which is the king or lord of heaven that flies over all. Uh, so there's a symbolism of the power and the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, even in those beings that are before the throne. The four living creatures individually having six wings were full of eyes all over and within, underneath their wings even. And day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, omnipotent, who was, who is, and who is to come. And so these creatures just constantly worship and praise God. And whenever the living creatures offer glory and honor and thanksgiving to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever through eternity of eternities, whenever they give praise and honor to him, then the 24 elders, the members of the seven heavenly, heavenly Sanhedrin, fall prostrate before him who is sitting on the throne. And they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they throw down their crowns before the throne, crying out, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive the glory and the honor and the dominion, for you created all things. And by your will they were brought into being, and they were created. And so these uh, worship goes on in heaven continuously, worshiping God and giving glory to God. When did that start? From the beginning of the foundation of the earth. When does it end? Never. Now, we've got trials and problems going on down here. 
We've got heartaches. We've got sad things. We've got difficult tests and trials. We were praying for folks that are in, in hurt, hurting situations. Certainly in the last year in our own nation, we've seen some tragic, tragic events, you know, with a school shooting and, and not 20 young people lives taken from them for no no reason whatsoever. Just heart-wrenching. Uh, tears your heart out to, to even try to consider uh, being part of that family to explain how your little one was murdered for no reason whatsoever. And, and certainly that pain is a true and genuine pain and heartache. And uh, We've seen hurricanes and the destruction that that brings and lately tornadoes and the destruction that brings or maybe the bombing in Boston and the, the loss of life and the loss of limbs and so forth and the pain and destruction and you just want to throw your hands up and say, man, what in the world is going on? Why are these things happening? What is the purpose? What is the, the meaning behind all of these things that are going on? And yet, all the time that that's happening... The throne room of heaven, the angels are still saying, holy, holy, holy is God. Worthy of praise and adoration. There is none like him. And they are continuing to worship. Does that mean that God is careless? Does that mean that God doesn't, it doesn't matter to God that these things are taking place? Not at all. It means that God is in absolute, thorough control. John's picture of heaven is a picture of comfort and peace to us that God has all of these things in his control. We know that the book of Revelation goes on to describe the plagues and the seals and the famine and the death and the heartache and the destruction that comes upon the face of the earth through the uh, tribulation period. You say, that's horrible, horrible, horrible. Yes, it is. God is still glorious, glorious, glorious. Mighty and true. To me, the book of Revelation has a, a personal application, and I've shared this story with you before, but, but my father-in-law, you know, was a great guy. Dan Burns was uh, six foot four. He was uh, happy-go-lucky. He, in his younger days, certainly loved to go to the bar and pick a fight, and nothing gave him greater pleasure than... Uh, uh, being involved in a brawl at a bar somewhere for whatever reason. Uh, but a likable guy like you've never met. He would walk into this most somber of situations and have everybody laughing in a matter of minutes. He would know everybody's name in the room in, in just a short matter of time. Just one of those kind of people that could come into a situation and uh, get you laughing. He would be telling jokes in a grocery line, you know, to anybody that would listen. He, he was just that kind of a person. But when you cornered him and said, Dad, how about becoming a Christian? How about giving your heart to Jesus? Well, that's all right for ladies, you know, and that's all right for you church people. But no, no, I, I, I just, no, I, I, I've got to live my life the way I live my life, and, and that's not for me. That, that, that's good for you. I, I appreciate, you know, and, and for 35 years I was a preacher and he was a sinner. So he was a target of mine quite often. I prayed for him a lot. And no, 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 if I came to church, you know, the roof would cave in. I think my wife said he probably showed up in church on during those 35 years. We probably got him in church maybe twice for very special occasions that he would 
would come to church. My mother-in-law, maybe we got her in church uh, half a dozen times, maybe a dozen times during her life. But, but Dan, no, no, it just wasn't for him. You know, just it, it was good. His mama was a Christian. She's a Bible believer. She was, she was faithful. Uh, he had some brothers and sisters that were faithful. But uh, no, it just didn't work out for him. He just didn't see it that way. Although we, we did know that he would secretly watch Christian TV programs because he loved Christian music. And uh, he, he liked to especially hear the old hymns and so forth. And as I've told you before, he came down with cancer, started with a lump on his face. It got large quickly and had to go for radiation, through a month of radiation, and, and that went down. And they tried to do surgery and couldn't. It was kind of that roller coaster ride that cancer often has, you know. And... Uh, they shrank it with radiation, and it went down, and the doctor was so happy, he clapped his hands and danced and said, oh, that's perfect, that's perfect, but it spread, and it went on through his body and wound up as cancer in the bones. And over a two-year period, we saw this six-foot-four, 240-pound guy shrivel down to 95 pounds, weak and emaciated, unable and unwilling to eat, where we, uh, you know, lectured him, you'd better eat, you'd better eat, you've got to eat. Uh, it tastes like cardboard, I'm not eating. I won't eat, I don't want anything. And the end became very obvious. Four days before his death, he could hardly stay awake for more than an hour or so at a time. My brother-in-law came in and said, okay, Pappy, listen, it goes like this. He said, I've been out drinking with you, chasing with you, fighting with you. I've done all the things you've done, but I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, and I know where I'm going. And he said, you're about to die, and if you don't acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you don't accept him, you're going to die and go to hell. But if you'll just invite Jesus to come into your heart, you can die and go to heaven. You want to go to hell or you want to go to heaven? He said, well, I want to go to heaven. He said, then you'd better invite Jesus to come into your heart. He said, okay, how do I do that? I've told you, my mother-in-law standing across the room said, you're not going to go to heaven and leave me to go to hell by myself. I want to get saved too. And so Dennis led them in the sinner's prayer. And he died four days later. And I look at that picture and I think, you know, uh, I wouldn't wish cancer on anybody at any time. We walked with him through pain and suffering, through humiliation. I mean, he was so incapacitated. I, I, one of the, the most difficult things for him was that he would allow me to help him into the bathroom so that he could use the restroom and help him get his clothes down. And he was so humiliated by that that anybody had to help him with that. It, it just humiliated him. But I think, you know, if that's what it took to get him to come to a place to say yes to Jesus, then I'm all for it. I say, hallelujah, bring it on, Lord Jesus. Thank you that the destruction of the body, but the salvation of the soul, and that's what it's about, and that's worth it all if that's what it takes. You know, don't be so stubborn. If you're still struggling, don't be so stubborn. But the book of Revelation, when it paints all these pictures of these seals and bowls and judgments coming upon the nations of the earth, it's simply God shaking them to the core to bring them to a place of repentance before him. 
And we understand through the word that many will repent as a result of that, but many will rebel against God also. And so the tribulation period is not for Christian believers to go through and suffer to prove that they're some kind of hero Christians, but for the world to be shaken to the core, to be, if you'll allow me, like Dan Burns, just crushed down and humiliated until they could face nothing else on their own and have no strength of their own, but to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're going to die and that they've got to make a decision to face eternity. And if that's what it takes, then God bring it on. So to see the throne room in heaven continuing in worship and praise through the midst of heartache and sorrow and difficulty on earth begins to make sense. To say God knows what he's doing. The book of Revelation isn't a scary book for a believer. When we read it and you read about terrible things happening, you say, praise God. If that's what it takes, I pray that some of those people will come to Jesus Christ. Some of those people that are affected by that will cry out salvation and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. And so don't let the book of Revelation scare you. Read it with enthusiasm. Read it and welcome it. Praise God for the blessings. He pours out many blessings in the book of Revelation. He pours out a blessing on those that will even read it. Understand that the book of Revelation is not intended to scare you to death. You're a child of God. But to bring joy and peace and happiness and understanding that there is an end to this world. Right now we've got a world, I mean, we're watching a world with world leaders that think they're, they, they've got everything under control. They know how to figure out the economy. They know how to figure out war. They know how to figure out uh, who's in and who's out and all of these things. God's going to make a laughing stock out of the whole world. He's going to bring it to nothing so that he might prove that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your great faithfulness. You are the beginning and you are the end. Lord, we're somewhere here in the middle, very near the end. We're watching these things come to pass in our own lifetime. We're shaking our heads over it. We're worried about it. Our hearts grieve for those that are hurting so. But we know that the end result is salvation for those that will put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. We're so thankful, Lord, that we know your name that we love your word, that we sing your praise, and that we can gather in your name to worship you. Pray, Lord, that you'd help us to share that message with people outside of this place that don't know you, that desperately need you, and that don't understand the plan of God. Lord, you are indeed in control, and things will come to pass even as John wrote here in this book of Revelation. They're coming to pass even in our day, even while we're watching. Help us to share that message and lead people to you that they might surrender their life and be counted worthy of eternal life, we pray. Go with us. Uh, set up divine appointments for us this week, Lord, that we would be able to minister to those around about us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.